for July 16th, 2018. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 524. Can you smell what is cooking the rock? Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are, well, we're like your smart, funny friends from the internet. We're each other's smart, funny friends as well. And the thing we love to do the most is hang out and blow stuff up. No, sorry. Uh, it's uh, watch filmic representations of people blowing things up, setting things on fire, jumping from one very tall thing over a gaping chasm into another very tall thing. Cars can't fly, they said in the Fast and the Furious can, but you know what can? Rocks. (laughs) (laughs) A a man without a leg. (laughs) Oh, boy, do we have to talk about ableism. Um, uh, uh, We all saw the film Skyscraper, uh, which one of the things I can definitely say about it is it is 102 minutes long. Um, and you know what? In a uh, in a, not, not, it's 102 minutes high. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. It's a in a a um, summer chock a block with three hour downer operatic, uh, you know, space adventures where CGI characters punch each other uh, relentlessly. A hundred and I'll take a hundred and two minutes any any day. We're talking about skyscraper. We're talking about the the, the rock. I'm Matt Rather. I'm here with rock enthusiast Pete Fenzel. <laughs> Hello, Matthew. The wrong kind of rock, right there. <laughs> and uh, and rock and roll enthusiast Mark Lee. <laughs> Hello, Matthew. That kind of worked in that context. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's it's really good. All right, all right, Pete. You made us go see this movie. No, yes, no, I did. you d- you didn't. We we were happy to we were happy to do it. I'm I'm happy. I feel like you want to help out Dwayne the Rock Johnson because he's an actor who works. That's for sure. <laughs> Some people just need a hand up. You know, they just need to be helped up that last couple stories of the skyscraper. Right, exactly. So, and that, yeah, and that's uh, that's wonderful. So so Pete, what what were you imagining? We would get out of skyscraper. Uh, just and just to start, did it? deliver those things like any truly good spiritual text skyscraper ended up (laughs) delivering something that you couldn't have imagined would have existed before you started watching it real uh real uh gift of the magi situation real real be careful what you wish for situation exactly so skyscraper i mean i enjoyed skyscraper i feel like you guys probably didn't enjoy skyscraper it is an exercise in attempting to write for people who for whom english is not a first language uh, and so in that respect, it is kind of patronizingly prosaic in its dialogue and stilted at times as they say, oh, you are the best security uh, contractor in the world. I know, but I'm worried about this job interview. You will do great. I, as your wife, will always support you. Thank you. I love you, but I have confidence problems. It's like that's like the pace of the uh, <laughs> do you guys notice that the the if for no other reason you watch this movie. The exposition in this movie was ruthless. I loved the incredibly ruthless exposition in this movie, wherein they tell you everything that's going to happen in the movie in 
one scene that happens in a condo. Right. Like, like, did you guys, did you guys catch that? Like every little detail you could have, you could have uh, surmised from there. In fact, I kind of wish that that exposition had been attached to a better movie because I really appreciated it. I really liked it. Um, And also I think thematically, like a lot, it really laid out a lot of what, uh, uh, a lot of what was going to go on in those first i mean if you take the if you take the condo scene and then the first penthouse scene together that was yep. the entire that yep. that was the entire thematic and plot uh, architecture of the movie right there yeah. in a nutshell so 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 by the way we're going to spoil skyscraper but you shouldn't care you <laughs> yeah. absolutely should not care that we're going to spoil skyscraper this is a conversation for all of us for all of us to kind of understand and discuss and we'll provide the necessary glosses for the events of skyscraper in a it, it, one of the things that happens in skyscraper is a very efficient plot is introduced early on in skyscraper and then the movie somewhat meanders over the course of like the second and third acts and adds additional details that are probably not necessary that distract from that sort of core plot that would have been lovely had it persisted, you know, in the way that it was it was laid out. So the core plot is that Dwayne The Rock Johnson is a disabled veteran of a special forces anti-terror kind of unit. And there was something that went horribly wrong and he lost his leg from the knee down. And you get the sense that his comrades were either also killed or also disabled. In his squad. And so he has a buddy from his squad who is played by Pornstash from Orange is the New Black. Yep. If you know that character. Yeah, yeah, Captain, and, uh, yeah Captain Evil Stash, you know, or just exactly. like something about something about that guy. And that's uh, he's related to. Well, uh, sorry, you, you continue. Yeah, yeah. So the point is that his buddy gets him a job with this fancy skyscraper in Hong Kong. And you know that something shady is going to go down, wherein the skyscraper is going to catch on fire and the, or blow up or be threatened by terrorists. Something terrible is going to happen. And Dwayne The Rock Johnson is going to have to overcome his disability, which has become kind of a psychological disability in addition to a physical disability for him. Find his confidence again by climbing the skyscraper to rescue his family from both fire and terrorists and maybe even terrorists on fire. Uh, at the same time, and, and that there'll be conversations about different ways of coping with loss, right? That, that's like the way that the movie sets it up, that this is going to be a kind of like duel between two people who experience the same trauma, and one of them chose to respond to it with hatred, and one of them chose to respond to it with love, sort of a Professor X Magneto dynamic between the two skyscraper guys. And that's the sense of the movie that you're going to see. This movie gets uh, tossed out the window about 20 minutes in when Pornstash is just ruthlessly murdered, right? He's just like, like He's just dispensed with. The character is just set up with this lovely scar peeking out of his uh, neck collar just to indicate that he's got that little bit of sinisterness in him. But he's killed off. But that was I mean, that was from the that was from the initial scene in the you know, when when uh, the rock was wounded, when the rock lost his leg, uh, his leg was amputated above the knee. Um, Yeah. The uh, or uh, sorry, below the knee, I, I guess the the because um, his prosthetic does not is is just the the shin area, the yeah. lower leg. Um, that's when um, that's when, you know, Nick Sabatka, a.k.a. Pornstash, a.k.a. actor Pablo Schreiber, who is the half brother of Liev Schreiber, um, 
that's when he got his uh, his ear disfigured and the kind of the skin the burn or the skin disfigurement that that uh, that he had that he like pointedly turns to show the rock <laughs> at, at one point while they're having a conversation together. It's like, yeah, buddy, we all lost something. And then he like whips his chin around. Uh, if you heard if my audio went funny, that's because I whipped my chin around so that I wasn't talking into the microphone anymore. He whips yeah. his chin around to kind of display the. Uh, the physical physical manifestation and i mean like the 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 marks that things leave on our bodies or the way the way we are kind of broken and put back together again is a is a, a like pretty close to the surface as a as a theme of this movie yeah but but then the movie takes a turn and ends up being much more about whether Chinese business interests or European business interests can be primarily credited with building Hong Kong as as a sort of city and as an economic force and comes down very, 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 very hard in favor of the Chinese. This is a movie that is like really I would I describe it as a hagiography for the Chinese plutocrat. Right. It's like it's like really praising the uh, ingenuity and the character of Chinese billionaires who build skyscrapers. And this becomes something of a distraction from the rock climbing the building, at least for me, though. Maybe you found it uh, not so much as such. But uh, but but then what the movie becomes is who is going to sort of own the legacy of this great achievement that is the wealth and power that's been created in Hong Kong by the ascendant uh, uh, benevolent People's Republic? And is it going to be the sort of corrupt, uh, the sort of corrupt old world interests, or is it going to be this sort of new multicultural family that all appreciates that living under the benevolent roof of the Chinese billionaire is in everybody's interest, right? And is a good thing. Uh, and the movie comes down very strongly in the latter of the two. I mean, that's how I would just is that out of is that not fair as how to describe the way? I this mean, movie you, you, Pete, Pete, you, you might be overthinking it a little <laughs> bit. Uh, to be fair, but just to yeah. sketch in some of the plot details for those of you who haven't seen the movie, which is pretty much everyone because this movie did not do well at the box office. Yeah. Um, what's going on is that the Chinese billionaire had to pay these uh, shady European extortionists, underground people, a bunch of money. And then but the, the Chinese billionaire kept his leverage, like information about the financial uh, uh, backing right, and through, information through superior and, technical prowess. Yeah, I took yeah, the intellectual property. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which, is a, which is a bunch of mumbo-jumbo. It doesn't... Ha, 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 ha. Oh, he went there. He went there. Anyway, the terrorists basically say, uh, give us the information or we'll do bad things to you. Um, and so they decide to go after him. And they're trying to get the MacGuffin, excuse me, the USB thumb drive. But they also they need uh, the Chinese dude alive as well in order to access the information to reverse engineer the tracking stuff that allowed him to see where all the stuff I know it's super compelling and then right? to sell it and then to to sell it on God. Amazon right <laughs> using a fa- as a third party seller using a fake uh, anyway um, no, no 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 they don't sell it on Amazon they sell it on Alibaba well no I, this yeah, is Hong Kong fair yeah. enough yeah good point so so there's also a situation where the triads are working with the German terrorists in order to uh, stage the fire, which is also, I believe, related to insurance fraud. So the movie gets surprisingly complicated, right. like for a movie that is literally about the rock climbing up things. It is like most of the movie is about a, a middle aged rock completing a tough mother mutter or like other sort of obstacle course race where he has to like, oh, this 
this thing looks like a ladder. Let's climb it. Oh, this thing looks like monkey bars. Let's go across the monkey bars. Oh, no, I have to jump up the ascending monkey bars. That's really hard. And then it, like, takes these turns into really complicated plot ideas, whereas if you just kept Porn Stash alive as the sort of, like, you have the bad idea of what disabled people should be like. Disabled people should be angry and vengeful, and they should dwell in their pain and suffering, whereas you think you should be hopeful and loving and hale and hearty and, like, reach into the vitality that you do have to overcome adversity, and that means I hate you and I'm going to destroy you. Uh, th that movie is a much more elegant sort of skyscraper movie. Uh, I wonder if Rampage was more along those lines. I did not see. Maybe we picked the wrong skyscraper-destroying rock movie to watch this year. There were two after. This is um, well, yeah, exactly. Like then, and, and this is being, I think this is being in some trade publications that that I read. Uh, this is being like held up as evidence that the the rocks uh, star is no longer on the rise, right? Like that that his career long ascendant is is now going into its waning uh, waning years. That that uh, what goes up jumping from the end of a crane uh, must come down crashing into the smashed window of the tallest building in Hong Kong. Right. Uh, and th yeah, I guess. I yeah. Mean, that like uh, and that it sort of couldn't, you know, that everyone seems to be cashing in. If you put if you put the rock, uh, if I sh if we do the the rock um, IMDb page, there are like a dozen productions, a dozen films in in production over the next two or three years, um, including, you know, Shaw, uh, one uh, Hobbs and Shaw, a uh, spinoff from the Fastiverse, right? And it seems like it can't, no one, no one can maintain that kind of box office draw for that long but like i don't know i don't think we should count count the rock out yet he's he's multi-ethnic right he's got uh, his virtues are not necessarily sort of linguistic virtues you know so he translates into other languages um i i'd look to see how this does overseas before i you know before i i write off the write off the rock i mean he hang on he, hang on hang on i have a very different take on this you say he doesn't have linguistic virtues no no i, I think I, would... I think he does but like what he's his uh his big thing in this movie like there was almost no rock wit Right. There was almost no none of the kind of the timing or his comic stuff like he was doing action star stuff. He was doing well, like like muscle stuff, you know? Yeah, he was doing that, but without the charisma, which I will call linguistic, uh, you know, uh, traits. Uh, qualities of his uh, it, it, as to say, like his performance was very bland. He was not given good material from this movie. Therefore, nobody's going to go see this movie because it's being poorly reviewed and probably has not great word of mouth. Um, uh, we shouldn't write him off. I think he's he's got plenty ahead of him, although I will um, just kind of go ahead and put the red flag out there that he's in a, a, a rumor to be in a remake of Big Trouble in Little China which probably shouldn't be remade for a lot of different reasons. Um, but this is the this is the world that we live in. And if Dwayne Rock Johnson is in it, I wish him all the best. I mean, so this, I allow this film was a remake of like five or six different films. So, <laughs> you know. 
So allow me to play Brahma Bull's advocate here. So Skyscraper comes out in China next week. It was made by Legendary, which is a studio that was, of course, acquired by the Wanda Group in China in 2016. This is the studio that had made the Dark Knight movies, but is now owned by a Chinese company. Uh, this movie is so obviously directed at the Chinese market. It is it is incredibly obvious watching this movie. And Rampage made $156 million in China. So I would not – and this is also being released during a blackout period in China when uh, foreign movies are not allowed to be shown in movie theaters to give Chinese movies a competitive and commercial advantage. And so this is getting in under the blackout because it's made by a Chinese movie company. Right. This has been and, this has been the boondoggle, by the way, for a lot of a lot of companies. And there's been a lot of wrangling over what constitutes a Chinese partner. But if you have a Chinese partner or a certain amount of your film is shot in China or something like that, you can get through the the quotas and you don't have to compete for quota uh, f- p- positioning with the Star Warses of the world. Exactly. And so the question then is, let's not judge whether this movie achieved its commercial goals until we see whether it achieved its commercial goals, which is to do well at the Chinese box office. Because remember, whatever sort of taxes or disadvantages in terms of repatriating the money that American studios have in doing business in China, and I think it takes a pretty big haircut uh, in terms of the money that you get back from putting a movie out in China, I think uh, that the Chinese company isn't going to deal with that, like relative relative to its other releases. Right. So it's not at a disadvantage if the money is all being, you know, paid and spent in, uh, you know, yuan. Right. Rather than in dollars. Mm. But we'll see. You know, we'll see. We'll see whether it was a success or not a success. Although I guess we could also ask, I mean, to what degree is this? A Chinese movie or to what degree did you feel watching this that you really appreciated the kind of Chinese aspect of it? And I think because uh, this takes place in Hong Kong, to clarify for people, and there are like lots and lots of shots of Hong Kong and shots of people in Hong Kong who are looking at things and like brave Hong Kong police officers. And and at the same time, there are maybe things that are perhaps a little bit lacking. I feel like Mark has some strong feelings about this. Yeah, I mostly felt like this movie did not take advantage of his location well. Um, I, I, you could be easy, almost uh, the same movie could have been in Toronto or like any uh, Singapore. I would, I would any propose large, I'd major, propose major metropolitan area. Sorry, Mark, I didn't mean to stomp on you. I'd propose Dubai as the other as the other obvious candidate. Uh, yeah. But yeah, um, so it's uh, in a foreign locale. Right. It's uh, exotic from the perspective of like I haven't seen that skyline a whole lot in American movies. So, okay, great. That's something a little bit different, distinguishing Um, absent a lot of other things that would uh, make it feel a little bit more like it belongs there. Um, There's not a lot of fish out of water moments because, uh, you know, we've got this, this, you know, American expat uh, who has to navigate uh, a foreign country and and language barriers. You know, there's, um, you know, just a handful of scenes where cops are yelling at another language. But, of course, they speak English, too, because it's Hong Kong. And everybody, right, right. lots of people speak English. Um, the ch- Chinese food and cuisine notably absent in this movie. Yes. There's a reference to, to a candy that a kid eats that makes him sick so he can't see the pandas. Oh, they mentioned they're going to go see pandas. We don't get to see pandas in this movie. <laughs> this movie is not – I think that this movie is not very Chinese. Pete, I think you disagree with me though. Well, I will say that this is the only movie where I've ever heard one of the main criticisms being there is not enough Chinese food in this movie. No, <laughs> you go to you go to Hong Kong, you got the Din Tai Fung, best yeah. soup dumpling noodles, to soup, no, best soup dumplings in the world in Hong Kong. 
Right. And I mean, I think about things like the Stephen Chow movies, which, you know, are, are similar in sort of silliness and extent to this movie. And, and dumplings are huge, right? Like the food element in Chinese action movies is absolutely a thing. Uh, is absolutely a thing, especially ones that take place in Hong Kong and are filmed in Hong Kong. So, but in terms of, here's what I think um, with regards to the Chinese-ness of it, which is that there's definitely an effort being made uh, to work within the cultural ideas and themes and norms that the people making the movie think the Chinese audience has. Whether it's true or not, I can't necessarily say. But if you were to compare it to the movie that it is most oft compared to, which is Die Hard, it has a very different set of values. And I made some jokes before about plutocrats and stuff. Let's like table that for a second and, and talk a little bit about the kind of spiritual theme of this movie, because I've described this as kind of a spiritual text. And I think that's really what it's it's uh, kind of in its DNA and its fabric, what it really is supposed to be as a sort of motivational spiritual piece about kind of human vitality and energy. Um, because the building that he is scaling is called the Pearl. And the Pearl, this giant building, which is twice as tall as any building in the world, and is described as you know what human can, humans can accomplish when they don't uh, pay attention to limitations, right? When they endure limitations. The Pearl has a giant planetarium on top of it. I guess we should take a minute to just address that there is a planetarium on top of this building that has two modes, one of which is observation deck with cameras pointing outward, and the other is a place to have a mirror hall action scene a la Enter the Dragon. And there appears to be no other reason to have like mirrors that come up out of the ground. But anyway, the, the point is that the pearl catches on fire. And if you're familiar with Chinese architecture, visual art, uh, you know, it, 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 the idea of a pearl on fire is a very common trope in a motif in Chinese art. And often the pearl on fire is uh, encircled or surrounded by dragons, right, by either one dragon or two dragons, as the dragon either kind of owns the pearl of fire uh, or the two dragons sort of vie over the pearl of fire. And the burning pearl is... Uh, represents a, a, a spiritual energy, a key, right? It re represents, it might be immortality, it might be vitality and energy, it might be wisdom, it might be the power of thunder. It's it's what a uh, what a sort of like mythopoetical Westerner would call like Zeus energy, right? In, in a Western tradition, right? This idea of like human, soul, physical, combined energy present in this object. And it is notable that the higher the rock gets, in the building and the more the rock fully exerts himself in order to enter, you know, to sort of like seize control of this building, the more the pearl burns and it burns brighter as the rock is kind of engaged in this climb. And there's this other person. Peter, you know, I just have one, one question. Uh, can you smell what is cooking the rock? <laughs> I, I believe that it is a, uh, some sort of salt, mineral yeah, salt. Exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Don't expose it to water. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so, like, there's sort of two dimensions to this. There's two dualities to this movie. One is that the villain, the European villain, who is played by an actor I did not recognize and probably would not recognize where you appear again because he would not have the same mustache, <laughs> uh, and uh, who is introduced by his forearms in such a way as to clearly mirror the rock as being very butch and diesel and jacked and such, but who actually doesn't look that much like the rock, but he's supposed to be like a mirror rock. Uh, he is the other dragon, and then they are both vying to see who controls the pearl, and this other dragon actually kidnaps the rock's daughter and his you know which becomes 
the representation of the rock's immortality, right? And so there's this whole idea of like, will the dragon be able to take the pearl of fire back from the other dragon who has taken it from him? And if you walk through a Chinatown, look at what's on top of the various kind of entryways and gates and statuary, and you will probably see this scene depicted at some point. It is very common. It is super common. But but then there's the other duality, which is that there are two locations in this movie. Well, there's three, but two of those two of the locations are similar enough that they can really be said to be one location. And I'm not talking about the pandas we don't get to see, which is also nonsense. And I agree, which is that there is the offsite control center for the skyscraper. And there is also a, a construction site, a sort of vacant pit wherein a skyscraper in the future is going to be built. Right. So you have the big skyscraper, which is the pearl on fire. And then you have the big empty place, right, which is where the people who control the Pearl of Fire, who have the sort of like access to the iPad that controls the fire systems, those people dwell in the in the pit. And those people are led by a woman. Right. And so you have the male object, which is the Pearl of Fire, the yin energy. Right. And then you or is it the other way around is which I always forget which is which, which is yin and which is yang. Yin is the feminine energy and yang is the striving masculine energy. I I appreciate that. And I apologize. So the yang energy is the big old phallic skyscraper with the burning pearl of key. Right. And then the yin energy is the pit where the thing is being built and birthed, the future skyscraper that hasn't been made yet, where the female triad has access to the iPad that has sort of captured the Rock's identity and where the Rock's wife must go, who's played by Nev Campbell, who I think does a wonderful job. She's fantastic. And it's so great to see Nev Campbell in a movie. Like, I, that was that was one of my favorite things about this movie, actually, because I, I didn't re- I went into it knowing The Rock and that's it, right? Like, and, oh, yeah. and so when I saw Nev Campbell, it was like, Nev Campbell, where have you? I, I've had a Nev Campbell-shaped hole in my life all this time, and I didn't even know it. I mean, it's a it's a little bit here. My suggestion right here, inspired by Skyscraper, Nev Campbell was able to say the lines in this script with a degree of plausibility that I was incredibly impressed by. Right, exactly. And I mean, like what that says to me is that she should be in Star Wars. You need to make Nev Campbell an actress in Star Wars. She will invest the material with with she had that same. It felt a lot like watching Harrison Ford or Carrie Fisher in the sense of like, you can write these things, George, but you can't say them right. Like uh, like they she imbued it with this sort of presence and this very classic character that had like a little bit of hidden uh, subtlety. Bella, great job, Nev Campbell. And please, uh, I mean, she I guess she's a little old to be the new Princess Leia, but uh, I would suggest putting her in Star Wars right away. But at any rate, Nev Campbell, the wife who plays the wife of The Rock, has to go to the sunken place, so to speak, right? Not the same as in Get Out, and battle the other woman for the possession of The Rock's tablet, which is then, of course, what is the tablet used for, Matt? What? Uh, Nev tur- Campbell. Oh, uh, uh, re- rebooting it, turning it off and turning it back on again. That, that's a whole other dimension. But what very specifically, what even more specifically does the tablet do? It, oh, oh, it, it quiets the uh, yang energy. Yes, yeah, the yin energy uh, from, this, from the construction yeah, yeah. site exactly. quiets the yang energy of the burning pearl, right? The key of the burning pearl is overflowing and is being destructive. And there's this cool moment where the rock is holding his daughter and is surrounded by fire. Right. And, and is like, I love you. I love you. But but he can't do anything because he's the young energy. 
The yang energy can't stop the fire. The yang energy is the fire. So if the fire is threatening the child, what you need is the yin energy. You need the mother to come. Right now, of course, a lot of people not particularly fond of metaphysical gender binaries as organizing principles for the universe. But you know what? Here you go. Right? This is this is what's happening. This is the world we're well, in right now. Well, you can sort of map them to genders in a normative way, or you can just sort of say that these are sort of principles of energy, you know, right. in which we all sort of partake every individual at a different place on on what you can imagine as being a spectrum. Actually, I don't think of it as a spectrum. I think of it as two buckets. You know, yeah. and you sort of your particular load is composed of a different mix of the of the two buckets and and on the whole we go one way, we go one way and the other. But what gets what gets uh what gets fuzzy is when you say it should go. It must go one way or the other and it must yeah. all be one way and all be the other, right? Like uh but uh yeah, I mean yeah. that's it's it, it, I I sort of agree with your with your uh what is it sort of Taoist read of the yeah. Uh, of the film, you know, right, right, and and um, I, I like I like the term bimodality mm-hmm. better than the term binary to yeah. describe sort of like statistical distribution of masculine, feminine, feminine aspect. But um, but yeah, yeah, and so they, but you brought up the other thing, um, which is, and I get the sense because I watched this movie with a bit more passion than probably anybody else who watched it. Maybe I should just jump right into it, which is that the thing with the phone, right? The thing with the phone where the, the Apple, of- by the way, the <laughs> Apple branded phone, very clearly, very clear. Well, it actually wasn't super in focus, but undeniably an Apple logo uh, right. uh, on screen in like in a central position on screen. And then very clearly the Apple UI and uh, Apple FaceTime in in the thing. So they're in the the communication, the brief communication when they still have their phone. So that definitely was a, a, um, a good product placement there. Oh, yeah, yeah, huge. And and so in the beginning of the movie, Nev Campbell can't fix her phone, which is kind of silly, and, the, and goes to The Rock and says, can you fix my phone? And The Rock fixed the phone by turning the phone off and turning the phone back on again and tells her to fix something, turn it off and turn it on again, which is, as I've mentioned, ruthlessly efficient exposition that explains to you everything that's going to happen in the movie. You know at some point in the future in the movie, something's going to get turned off and turned back on again, probably the fire system in the building, and that's yeah. going to fix it, right? And that's what ends up happening. But there's that great line in retrospect where – uh, the Rock says to Nev Campbell, she, she's like, well, you know, why don't you just fix it? You know how? And she's like, I like to give it to you to have you fix it. And he says, you want me to fix your phone so that I have a sense of accomplishments? And she like laughs it off. Right. But when you consider what happens at the end of the movie, it's kind of interesting because the Rock's young energy is in the situation where he can't solve the problem himself and he needs Nev Campbell's yin energy to solve the problem. And in many movies, The Rock would have solved the problem. He would have been the one to turn it off and turn it on again. Uh, And yet here, it's Nev Campbell who gets to turn it off and turn it on again. And so the idea is placed here that the person who scales the building isn't necessarily the the only person who should get a sense of accomplishment. Because people have different roles and they do different things. And so – other people should also have a sense of accomplishment. There's the idea that 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 Nev Campbell's character, it's like commented on in the movie that Nev Campbell's character should not exist only to create character motivation for The Rock's character. That is like called out in the script. Is it successful? No. <laughs> but but uh but like it's called out in the script and it's exemplified in the final gesture of Nev Campbell extinguishing the flames that are consuming the pearl, 
right? And uh, and that have gone well. And it's funny because she doesn't put them entirely out. She lowers them to like a simmer, wherein the fire is still burning, but it's like a manageable amount of building on fire rather than it being entirely out. Uh, which is interesting. But yeah, but that's the point is that like, you know, she gets to have a sense of accomplishment too, which is important and, and interesting in this sense, in this whole sort of Taoist, uh, Taoist way of reading the movie. So uh, I guess the other aspect that's Taoist of it and is when the billionaire says he's going to rebuild the pearl later, which adds this idea of cyclicality. Well, the, yeah, I mean, there you go. That's, it's an yeah. interesting, it's an interesting thing. Or, or I was thinking about resilience and I was thinking of, I mean, what is interesting to me is in a movie where a lot of it has to be explained right at the outset, like in the, in the, uh, in the classic high school essay formula of tell him what you're going to tell him, tell him, <laughs> and then tell him what you told him. That like, what? In this movie, we watch the rock face adversity and climb up a building. <laughs> <laughs> Since the dawn of time, uh, mankind has struggled with issues of facing adversity and climbing up buildings. Um, the uh, what doesn't need to be explained is interesting to me in this movie. The the things that the things that we can take for granted, and like I think these things begin to hint at something like a global culture, right, or at least a developed world uh, culture. The tech billionaire or whatever industry he's in is I, I saw him more as a, as a gloss on Silicon Valley, uh, you know, tech gurus rather than necessarily archetypes that I see coming out of other uh, Chinese films that I've seen, though I guess I, I'm not super familiar. So I, I only know the the real mainstream crossovers. So it's probably there's probably a lot of will actually you could do to me there. I mean, uh, I'm on your I, I agree with you. Go, go on. It's all, that, it's all good. Yeah, that 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 is the model. Just something about his his preternatural calm, um, something about his his sense of kind of right of being a being a real aristocrat or being an elite in the sense of like just being actually legitimately better than other people um the other thing uh is that that the one of the 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 like the real heavy of the bad guys is a uh young woman ninja right <laughs> <laughs> like um that that's a that that was a thing, and then just the role of organized crime, the role of kind of multinational. Uh, there's kind of like a dark, speaking of Taoism, there's sort of a, a side and a shadow side, right, or a, a kind of dark reflection. The the multinational corporations, uh, without which the sort of accumulation of capital necessary to bring about these magnificent edifices would not be possible. And then the multinational corporations of organized crime, which are, you know, wire style, just as enmeshed, just as bureaucratic, are, are a, you know, uh, and, and frankly, complementary, are, are a complementary, not necessarily opposed um, part of the economy. That is to say, if you want to get anything built, you've got to deal with the mob, right? And that that like, uh, that that was not something that needed to be explained. You know, uh, I don't know if you know, but sometimes in, in building projects, you have to deal with, uh, with, uh, organized crime elements in order to, no, I never, I'm shocked, <laughs> shocked to, to hear that extortion is going on in this establishment. Um, and that that like, that that does not 
not need to be uh, doesn't need to be explained. Um, I don't know. Does any does any of those three directions uh, pose a good uh, uh, avenue to go down? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I, I definitely think this is a very globalist movie that takes for granted. As much as I sort of talked about the kind of Chinese aspect of it, it's a globalist movie in an economic sense that very strongly favors taking advantage of the kind of skills, capabilities, and capital that flows across borders. And one of the examples, I think, that's kind of played for laughs is when the Chinese cops, when the Hong Kong cops are trying to to determine whether The Rock is a good guy or a bad guy, and The Rock's wife is right there, uh, they start, and she's giving them information about the case that is going to help them crack the case. Like, she knows what's going on, and she's trying to tell them, but they don't know whether to trust her or not. They pull away from her and start talking to each other in Cantonese, right? I think it's Cantonese. I might have been Mandarin, uh, but they're in Hong Kong, so I assumed it was Cantonese. Uh, and so uh, so I might, it might be wrong in that front. I shouldn't have even said it. just said Chinese. But uh, at any rate, they, one of them in particular— a female cop pulls back and tries to talk to the male cop in Chinese so that Nev Campbell can't participate and listen. But it turns out that Nev Campbell speaks Chinese. She's a military surgeon. She's presumably been traveling the world for most of her life. Very cosmopolitan, very at home in Hong Kong, a global city. She seems to be as much at home in Hong Kong as anybody else. This is not as as Mark has mentioned. There's no fish out of water in this movie, and and that could be a detriment. But in this particular case, I felt like it was an important aspect of it. And that Nev Campbell saying, "No, no, no, I'm going to speak Chinese to you." And then we're going to work together is very similar to the idea that there isn't really that salient of a difference between a Chinese billionaire in Hong Kong and a Silicon Valley billionaire in California, that they have this sort of they both have the Apple Watch, right, or whichever one is the fanciest. And they both have impenetrable titan- uh, titanium walls that separate them from the hoi polloi and government regulation <laughs> that surrounds them on yeah. all sides. So I don't know. What do you think? Mark? I, I, I like this read of this movie more as a, uh, I mean, uh, Pete, yes, to your credit, you were able to describe how this movie is, in fact, the Chinese movie, even though there are no pandas in it. Um, but I think what this Which is nonsense. Here is, it's nonsense. <laughs> this thread, this thread we're talking about here, that it's a much more of a global movie than anything else, is is a good one. And let let me rephrase it another way. This is decidedly not an American movie because the burning skyscraper in this movie is really not in dialogue with 9/11. Mm. Is this movie a post 9-11 movie? It's like, if anything, it's like a post-post 9-11 movie. It's like not trading in that that discourse at all. I'm thinking in particular of like the whole spectacle is being uh, televised, you know, on the news and the crowd is gasping and cheering as they go. It's just not um, the kind of thing that I think about. I mean, now, granted, like, you know, I live in New York. Um, I'm surrounded by the people who, you know, who 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 were in New York and some even worked downtown on 9-11. So uh, none of this is very far from my mind here. But it it just was not playing in that same way in this movie. I don't know. Pete, Matt, did you see anything 9-11 or absence of it in I this mean, movie? It's an it's an interesting that's an interesting thing. I, there are two ways to go. One is the, the way that you've gone um, and that that like building ba- like tall building based disaster. Right. And especially the threat. You know, there was never the threat really of the building collapsing. Right. Yes. They let nope. people they let people come right up to the, you know, the stanchions in front of the whatever uh, in the plaza there. Uh, 
Um, and that was not, that just did not seem to be on the table uh, at all, which, you know, as, as we know, tragically is not actually how it, how it works out when you cause a, an enormous fire in the, uh, and weaken the structure of, yeah. uh, of an enormous tower. The other, Tur- the turns other th- out yeah. that, that jet fuel can in fact melt steel beams. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the whole, uh, so that is that even before nine 11 in the, you know, in the 20th century, right. Um, American, skyscrapers were always in opposition to like wide open spaces you know and you think uh, and this goes back this there's like a long film history uh, of this like if you think of the western right as the the big visual image of the western being like the line of the horizon stretching from end to end of a frame and and as at the at the time you know actually just as now uh films were competing with television for um a share of of entertainment spend and so they were creating wider and wider image formats in order to make it clear that this was cinema and it was not it was not your dinky little television right and so this enormous horizontal line stretching like in a in a uh, aspect ratio that's almost three to one you know versus uh film noir the the other you know post-war um film that was kind of making sense of American society and uh, that that was sort of Los Angeles set or a lot of them were sort of Los Angeles centered and those were like d- uh, horizontal uh, sorry vertical lines like bu- buildings um, slashes of light uh, effects like that and so like the the difference between the vertical and the horizontal um, is is something that has like a long a long history in in film studies and like that or in in film practice and like I think what you're saying is that this was vertical without any opposing horizontal whether it's the horizontal of absence of a building leveled by destruct uh, by a nine eleven like destruction or uh, you know a horizontal that is like the country there's no country there's no like heartland you know what i mean in in this film and this sort of represents the the kind of urban reality the demographic urban reality of economically developed countries uh today you know matt you hit a light bulb turned a light bulb on in my head because i wondered why in this movie and now i i'm pretty sure if this had been an american movie this would have been different. But in this movie, why weren't the terrorists parachuting onto a boat right. that was going to leave the harbor? If this were an American movie, 99% chance they are parachuting on a boat that is going to flee into the Pacific Ocean. And once they get into the ocean, they're going to be lost and we're not going to be able to get them back. And and because there's like, oh, there's a storm coming or there's like 100,000 boats and we wouldn't be able to find the one boat that they're on. The, the Amer- That's like the lethal weapon way that this would have worked. Right. Like even the lethal weapon, too, where they're trying to escape on the tank. It's like it's stuff, like yeah. trying to find a chopstick in a stack of chopsticks. <laughs> that would have been the American line and it would have been worse than what we saw, uh, even though what we saw wasn't the best. But, yeah, but this idea that there isn't a horizontal is really interesting. And the idea that the building never threatens to collapse is really interesting. And the idea that um, that 
Yeah, that like that you could just rebuild and it would be sort of a trivial suggestion. Of course, I'm going to rebuild. Why would I not rebuild is, is, is you know, that is also something that's very not American about this movie. So it all makes a lot of sense to me. And I'm, I'm totally on board with with the, all of this. Uh, you know what it reminds me of is in the tower. Have you guys seen the towering inferno? Am I going to make it three weeks out of three where I'm going to bring something up that neither of you guys have seen uh, first Highlander? And then uh, what was it? Um Oh, gosh. What was the one last week that you guys hadn't seen that I was, like, amazed by? Oh, my goodness. The, uh, yeah, no. Uh, Pete, no Towering Inferno. No, no Towering Inferno? Nope, not uh, here either. Nope. So, uh, three for three. We call that the three Pete. <laughs> oh, man. So the Towering Inferno is about how Mer- Americans distrust skyscrapers. And it's about a lot of things. It's about luxury, and it's about hubris. It's about how, like, fancy people want to be higher and higher up in the sky, and working-class people are trying to tell you that doing this is not appropriate or smart. And Steve McQueen, after, at the sort of denouement of the movie, has a great monologue as the firefighter about why people should not build skyscrapers, basically. It's basically, you're being very irresponsible, you're building these giant buildings, we're telling you they're not safe, you're not listening to us, but you know what? Because... As long as you keep building them, we're going to keep running into them when they're on fire. And that's who we are. So which is this sort of sort of staggering sublimity, right? This like he's practically begging people to not build these fiery death traps. And yet at the same time, he's saying, look, I voiced my opposition. But at the end of the day, I'm a fireman and I save lives. So I'm going to charge in that building, even if I've told you a thousand times that you shouldn't have built it in the first place. That is not the idea at all present in this movie. Right. There's no sense that this building shouldn't exist, which I think is even sort of present in Die Hard, the idea that the Nakatomi building exists in Los Angeles for kind of a, you know, a sort of racial panic kind of reason is uh, is is a, itself uh, not supposed to be there. Right. It's an object that's not supposed to exist. I mean, uh, and John going McClane, back to what we're talking about, you know, we've been talking about the um, the, the urban rural uh, dichotomy. Uh, right, at least in the American context. And um, both, I'd say The Towering Inferno, recent 1974, um, and then Die Hard, right, um, what, 80s, 90s? Yeah, 80s. Godfrey, okay, 80s. Um, it still is within the context of, like, what, the white flight away from urban centers uh, and into the suburbs. Uh, it is it is casting a normative um, uh, uh, judgment on the tall building, right, particularly for The Towering Inferno, as you just described it, Pete. Um, again, I haven't seen this movie, but uh, I think it's reasonable to say that, like, that political context and sort of the anti-urban uh, sentiment uh, is at play with The Towering Inferno, but definitely, definitely not, emphatically not in the skyscraper, because that building looks awesome, right? Yeah. Like, you, want to, you want to live there. Um, right. it, well, in, in, in spite of the that tower, in spite of the, the fire, but hey, he'll rebuild, and then it's going to be very um, desirable Hong Kong real estate, and who doesn't like that? What's interesting in all of this is that Hans Gruber calls John McClane a cowboy in Die Hard, right? Mm, Which yeah. is interesting. So, and even when you're thinking about. When you think about the horizontal, which Matt has been talking about in the Westerns, and I always think about the original John Wayne True Grit just because that's kind of the Baroque form where it's like freaking huge and brightly in color, although that's a little bit out of contemporaneousness with like stuff like the Maltese Falcon and things like that. Uh, where like there's the horizontal lines of the Venetian blinds over people's eyes in various film noir movies. But like the film noir PI and the Western cowboy are not really that dissimilar. 
in, in their sort of core belief that society has something terribly wrong with it, but at the same time, and that they're going to sort of take responsibility to a degree for the thing that is terribly wrong with society, but they're not going to expect society to, society to like necessarily follow their lead. Uh, and this idea that the same sort of outsider can be both outside of the vertical and outside of the horizontal is an interesting dichotomy. And the idea that if Die Hard is an anti-urban movie, it has a thoroughly urban protagonist because John McClane is not from the suburbs. He is he is from New York. He is a New York street cop. Uh, and yet at the same time, there's a sense that he disapproves of the existence of this giant skyscraper, uh, whereas The Rock is, you know, he's on a corporate retreat. He's, he's like on a team building exercise doing an obstacle course. <laughs> and he has like no problem. He's on. He's literally at work like The Rock is is. The Nev Campbell is the John McClane character in this movie, where he's where she's there because of her spouse, uh, not because she wants to necessarily. But anyway, uh, that's that's all that that comparison breaks down quickly when you realize that her character is like an enthusiastic globalist. Uh, and, and so which is not exactly what John McClane is at all. That is for certain. Man, oh man! What yeah, I mean, Adam? being as uh, like thinking of The Rock as an entrepreneur, right? Like this isn't this is an interesting thing. He he doesn't have. Is that the mark of his Americanness? Is that he's not part of a corporation? He is a corporation. Uh, he's not a businessman. He's a businessman, and that like <laughs> <laughs> that he's uh, you know that he's starting a uh, a security consulting firm or something something like this, you know? Or or is that a sign of his kind? of emasculation or his his uh you know brokenness is that a is that a mark of sort of is that a mark of ability versus disability that that needs to be overcome and he's going to go to work for the for the uh the chinese billionaire after this i mean the american characters who are respected in this movie are respected because of their military service generally right like which is like oh they were in the military Military is awesome. Like American military is great. If she was in the military and she's in medicine, like those are two things that America does awesome. So we respect her, right? Because that's her Americanness. And like The Rock, it's important. That might be why it's important to have that scene in the beginning of the movie, uh, which I only saw half of because uh, I, uh, this was not a movie that I was deeply committed to being too punctually. Uh, but uh, but when The Rock is in his uh, full military outfit dealing with that terrorist with his well, see, he's in like a SWAT team, but he he yeah. he identifies himself as. FBI when he call when he right. uh, when they breach, you know. Um, so again, I think that I think the FBI deals with hostage taking. I think they're the agency who yeah. who does that. And so, like, that's a whole thing. That's a whole thing that we could get into is like the kind of the militarization of the you know the whole kind of Mission Impossible op that happens on the uh, on this you know poor you know two bedroom house out in the middle I, of nowhere you know i thought less of mission impossible and more of the raids uh, at least as i come to understand how they played out in in iraq where the u.s army would like blow a hole through a door or like bash down a door invade a domestic space oh, right yeah, and, yeah, then, yeah. Find, Sorry, and right. then find someone and then find someone with a suicide vest on or someone who's accused of making suicide vests right um i mean that's again the move the the in this movie is portrayed as a quote-unquote domestic situation but um I don't know a lot of domestic situations that involve suicide vests. Again, like that's that that scene was totally all over the place, and uh, it was also very uncomfortable. I might add, like the brutality with which this movie treated its characters uh, surprised me. For mm-hmm. like a PG thirteen mainstream summer action movie, I thought it was surprising and depressingly brutal. 
There, Speaking, no, yeah, go ahead. The, the, I mean, there was a cup th- that was, they didn't even like show the explosion. It's almost like it, it, it almost couldn't be represented, right? Like, and, and, and because it cannot be represented, it must be termed that which is not a sign. Uh, the, the explosion of the, of the vest, right? You didn't even see an exterior shot with, you know, I don't know, a, a, an explosion in shrapnel going, you know, windows blowing out or something like that. It just fades to white or almost kind of cuts to uh to a white screen and that's how it's done with um it's done with you know in terms of the the visual representation of it i did not like i mean there were a couple of like uh the the bad guy's gonna jump out of the tunnel the bad guy's gonna jump out of the tunnel and i don't enjoy those i also like uh there there were a couple i i don't know i don't i don't understand why people enjoy being being very stressed out i like i feel like i spend a lot of my day really stressed out and and i try in my leisure time not to be stressed out (laughs) you know you know what would have helped with that uh pandas but there was one (laughs) there was one really good uh close quarters fight with uh uh dwayne johnson and pablo schreiber in the in his condo kitchen right like where you know they were using stuff like the dishwasher and and uh, a grill grate from the um you know i don't know from the stove and things like that that was a pretty good um you know born identities style close quarters fight i thought but then the the he gets cut the rockets or no the the pretext for getting him to the apartment is that his arm is cut by the guy who who steals his bag right and like the idea of the rock being made not of rock after all uh but of flesh like like you and i and that that like um that he's vulnerable, right? Like this is a sort of, this is an interesting thing in the rock because part of the, the, like his quippiness and part of his, when he does do uh verbal humor, right? Like it, it, adds to an error of invulnerability of sort of rising, you know, rising above it. Um, that, that, uh, that this movie was, was notably missing and that, that his flesh was, you know, p- p- penetrated variously, um, throughout the whole, uh, uh, throughout the whole action from the very beginning. So two things, one, the, um, did, I did was this implied for you guys too, or am I inferring this? That one of the reasons that Pornstash, aka the Sabaka kid from the wire, aka the buddy from the squad, was upset was that the explosion had castrated him. Right? Is that, is that did am I the only one who read that into this movie? No. That, that, oh, I thought it was I thought that was his his inability his his, you know, metaphorical impotence was actually an emotional problem, like a, a, an inability to form attachments and create a traditional family. Right, right, yeah, that was, that was my read of it as well, too. Uh, but uh, Pete, tell us more about the castration reading. Well, well because they, when they're on the boat... Did you notice that at the top of the tower is a giant ball? <laughs> Guys, it's a big, <laughs> sticky-up thing with a bulbous head, okay? Just saying. Sorry, go on. But like The Rock says, like I would have been, I wouldn't have gotten through this. I'd be nobody without my family. And then the other guy is like really uncomfortable, right? The other, the other guy, the buddy, 
is really uncomfortable that The Rock is talking about how the thing that's really helped him out is that he has a family. And all we really know about the extent of this guy's injuries is that they're hidden under his clothes, that we can imagine that his whole body is like horribly scarred and burned because we see scarring on his neck. And I think at one point we maybe see a little bit of scarring on his arm, too. And so I thought that it was implied in that scene that this guy had lost the ability to have children because of the explosion. And that was part of why he was angry. Um, but I don't know, maybe that's also me reading in generally around the kind of like gender and reproductive themes of the movie. Uh, certainly it's ambiguous and it's not, it's not like he comes straight out and says, you took my balls, rock, you took my balls and now I'm taking your kids, right? Like that's not how it goes. Um, but yeah, but that was, that was the one of the two things that I was thinking. And I, it sounds like, again, I was the only person who saw it that way, but that's fine. It, it would not be a better world. <laughs> I, I'm glad that you're making this movie much much more interesting than it's, uh, it probably actually was. Me. Um, okay, so we we started to talk about uh, we we're circling back. I feel like to um, the Rock's lack of leg, or lack of limb. Yes. In, in this, so maybe let's kind of uh, uh, finish with some final thoughts on this. Like the the fight scene, Matt, that you were talking about before was a good one. I agree, and also notable because um, uh, porn stash went after the prosthetic he knew to go for it to kind of try to slow him down um and then you know the prosthetic comes into play later on you know and he almost loses it this that and the other but overall i i thought that uh the movie again could have almost almost the same movie um with without the prosthetic limb on there it didn't like uh, it, it was reaching for meaning and signification and not grasping at all the time. But I've had the feeling that Pete might be able to <laughs> make sports. <laughs> no, again it's, it's, no, 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 Mark, Mark, I think, I think you're right. I, I imagine I haven't seen it because I, I generally avoid the internet these days because it's, it's more upsetting than helpful for me to look at the internet. But, um, I, I imagine that there is digital ink being spilt uh, over the the fact that once again, you know, there's a kind of representation issue with a disabled character being played by an able-bodied actor, and right, and this is a uh, this is a thing that has happened since the beginning of time, and like uh, there's a lot of talk about Glee and the the character in the wheelchair who is played by an actor who can walk. Uh, unassisted and uh, and on and on and on right like that that these things are you know um that there actually are disabled actors to play these parts uh and that that like i mean there there isn't another rock is is the problem um but maybe there could be if we actually started giving people giving people parts in movies and uh while sort of just blanket granting um that 80% of those arguments are probably, you know, right? Like the middle 80% of those arguments are probably self-evidently true. Uh, this is not the film to get mad about because it has almost nothing to do. Um, it has almost nothing to do with, with the thematic content of the movie. The one thing I, the one thing I would say is that it goes to my point I, uh, earlier about the rock being sort of vulnerable in a different way in, in this movie. And that that's, that that's probably in some ways, frankly, more offensive, right. Than than the kind of representational issue of who gets to be an action star in, uh, in giant global summer temples. I think the thing, the mention I would add to it is that while I agree that it's not common to see The Rock wounded in the sense of like hurt to the point where he might actually be killed, I, I, The Rock certainly suffers 
a great deal in all his performances, pretty much almost all of them, maybe not the tooth fairy, but I mean, the, the classic scene, right. Is the daddy's got to go to work where he cracks the cast on his arm to go pick up the minigun and shoot at the helicopter. Yeah, but it's uh, because it's cause he stuff. doesn't actually hurt. You know what I mean? Like that. that... I strongly disagree, but, uh, <laughs> but go ahead. Say what you're saying. <laughs> that, that like, um, that the that the pain is is sort of is something that he can overcome right yes rather than rather than something as, as pain we did a whole episode about pain once like and it's actually debilitating right like right, and that right. there's no and and like right like i was argue i was actually arguing the mind over matter uh position in that episode and you were like yep. no matt i just had dental surgery and it's not <laughs> mind over matter right like so yeah, exactly. uh maybe we've maybe we've switched sides or on on this podcast. It's the yin and the yang, man. Once the pearl's <laughs> done, we're going to rebuild. But The Rock was always great as a professional wrestler in being in pain while he was being beaten up. And that's the sort of secret to good professional wrestling is that the person being thrown is the person doing most of the work and selling the bump is just as important, if not more important, than the bump itself. Meaning like when someone throws The Rock through a table – the rock that is a successful move to the extent that the rock can convince the audience that it hurts even though he's the one who did it right he's the one who jumped off the ladder through the table and he did it in a way such as to maximize his personal safety i mean i'm reminded again of the fast the furious scene where he falls out of like a seven-story building and shatters onto a bunch of glass he's like oh i'm in so much pain and the rock is really good at getting punched and looking like he's in a lot of pain uh, and uh, he does this in a lot of movies too. I mean, maybe not the Scorpion King so much, but, um, <laughs> but like, well, you know, he was but, only it was it was you know two percent rock, ninety eight percent CGI in in that movie. But like he also, by the way, the uh, in uh, fight directors that I have known and that I have worked with doing doing stage fight and things like this call it erging because like when you punch, you make noises like erg erg erg. Um, there's oh, very I thought that's because that's the face you make when you're on a rowing machine. <laughs> but um there's also he gives very good erg in the in the the pull up when he has to like mantle a uh you know the the various things that he climbs up on top of um very very good sense of uh strenuous um physical uh you know effort and uh, uh expenditure of energy yeah, and I feel like that's the dimension that the prosthetic leg is playing off of, which is more of this idea of we 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 understand vigor in contrast to its absence rather than just on its own. Because in these days, anybody can jump over a building. It's a trivial thing to have a muscle-bound dude in a movie lift a car at this point. You can have him lift the entire world. It would be, You can do that. You can have, like, Chris Pratt could have been bench-pressing dinosaurs all through Jurassic World 2. Of course, I wouldn't have seen it, but somebody would have, right? Like, he could have been like, oh, this is easy, right? Uh, you know, this is like, it is not hard on in, on film or in, in digital, actually, on video to show somebody doing something strong. But in order for it to come off as strong, there has to be the notion that it's overcoming some sort of resistance. That's the thing that gives it weight. That's the thing that gives it meaning. And so it's sort of like the 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 the, the part of this movie that is ableist, I think more than more even than the part that's like encouraging you to have mind over matter is the idea that like the fact that the rock has a prosthetic leg makes him more credible as super strong because it's like 
because it, it, it's it's sort of like a weighted vest. It's something that he's he, that he's wearing in this movie to deliberately make the things that he does seem more difficult. And then it turns out to be now it does it turns out to be an advantage in a certain number of situations, which is supposed to be a point about how you know people who have disabilities are actually not less than people who don't, and everybody should believe in themselves. If you don't think you're strong, you should still believe in yourself, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Which goes back to the other episode. But yeah, the idea being that like I think the point, other than this, the whole idea of the skyscraper is about humans overcoming limitations and the leg is about humans coming over limitations. So in that respect, the rock is the skyscraper and the idea that like, you know, if you want to find out what a man values, set his house on fire, right? The family is the house, right? It, it, the building is the person, you know, the, the skyscraper was inside of you all along, right? It was called your aorta and it's stiffness. And it was, is a probably something you should get looked at from a doctor, but, uh, but yeah, that, that like, that's the sort of like the purpose of the leg is to make the monkey bars more impressive. Right? Like that's like why it's there, I think. Um, and also just for novelty, for novelty's sake, to make it different. Well, that right. Like in the idea that has its own kind of set of, of problematic ableist connotations as well. The idea that this is kind of a, a novelty or a curiosity, right? Like is something that, um, uh, you know, it, I don't know. I'm, I I expected us to move beyond. Um, hopefully, you know, the soon the sooner the better. Hey, before we close, can we talk a little bit about duct tape? Yes. If we haven't <laughs> talked, you know what? If there's if there's a problem with the podcast, you should just talk about more duct tape. That's right. Yeah. If you have if you have a problem with podcasts that you can't fix with duct tape, you're not podcasting enough about duct tape. Um, that I I don't know. Do you, I I. Uh, and and then I don't have anything to contribute. You don't have anything to great, say. Yeah, about great, duct tape? great radio, Matt. Great, great, uh, great radio. Way to way to really pull your weight May, there, maybe buddy. Maybe that was the the movie trying to be somehow show its Americanness, um, our affinity for that to make him more like the underdog, that kind of just like American ingenuity, MacGyver esque type of a problem solver. That's the best that I got. I, yeah, I mean, I buy that. I, I read a great article this 4th of July. You should check it out. It's called 10 Great Things About America That I Learned from Independence Day. Uh, it's it's a classic, you know, in, in a way still unsurpassed um, in terms of the work that we've ever published on, on Overthinking It. And it is a listicle before uh, we knew that they were called that by our friend Peter Fenzel uh, about the film Independence Day and, and about... Uh, uh, sort of home truths about America that um, the film manages to uh, to drive home without necessarily meaning to, and one of them is it, it ain't pretty, but it works, you know. And that 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 is a, a sort of I feel like there is more emphasis in maybe even in other cultures cinema about elegance of implementation, right? Which is almost. Uh, almost entirely missing from the kind of the the brute force get her done uh kind of kind of american ethos uh that's so that's a fair point mark i don't know pete did you have anything else that that duct tape uh yeah you know well for one duct tape is hugely associated with the american military that's where it's from at least the name right uh you know and duct tape d-u-c-k tape and uh and also that there's two models of what to take from the West that are in this movie. And one model is the thing you should take from the West is capital. 
Right. You should you should make you should talk with people from the West and make deals with them because they have a lot of money and they have access to money. And they also have through their money can leverage things against you. So you have to deal with the West because of the capital and the money that they have in order for you to do things that you want to do. And yet there's another aspect of the West, which is the idea in Western culture that you don't necessarily need to wait to have the status or the ability or the capability, the permission or the tools to do something. If you want to do something, you should do it. And that this attitude is the heart of the rocks character in this movie. And I think the heart of the part of the movie that is praising being American, you know, we should go to the construction site. You should bring me, we will go do it. If it's not, if, if it's not the right place, that's fine. You know, we tried, right? That kind of thing. And duct tape is the ultimate symbol, I think, of you should not pause in doing the thing that you want to do. You should not back off from something you think you need to accomplish because you don't have sufficient tools. Duct tape is the solution for the idea that you don't have sufficient tools. And it's duct tape, and it's not just that. It's the psychology that comes along with duct tape. It's the mentality of, okay, I can fix an airplane with this. I can fly using this. Oh, I can, oh, oh, I, I, can rep- I, I can repair my body, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I can save the astronauts in the Apollo program with duct tape. Do you guys remember the scene from Apollo 13? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> when the, the atmosphere scrubbers stopped working, and so they literally rigged something together with duct tape to save yeah. the day. Yeah, Love yeah, it. totally. God bless America. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So I feel like in that sense, the, du- the duct tape felt pretty earned, although I, I kind of wish that it had more of a place in the finale and the big final action. Sequence, oh, yeah, the there, was, one. there was a huge there was a huge missed opportunity. Um, there was a huge missed opportunity vis-a-vis duct tape, right? When he gets into the penthouse, when when the rock gets into the penthouse and asks the billionaire Chinese industrialist do you have any duct tape? He should have grinned of a knowing grin, opened a cabinet behind him, and there stacked to the ceiling row upon row of duct tape, right? (laughs) And and it still wouldn't have been the silliest thing in this film, not by a long shot. Um, Yeah. Oh, hey, so just, sorry, I said that that was the last thing. One last, last thing. Um, Filmic references. I feel like there were a number of things... uh, there were a number of kind of redos um, that Pete, you pointed out a big one in the finale. But uh, before we get to that one, which I think yours is probably the most consequential, uh, there was a, a sort of remake of the mirror scene or the the um, Asia skyscraper glass building fight in, I think, Skyfall. Uh, or was it was it Casino Royale, the the Daniel Craig James Bond movie where there's a sort of silhouette fight and it's it's sort of like a gla- uh, Hall of Mirrors um, type of fight. But I, but uh, I didn't realize the the more important one that you're going to say. I also think there was a sort of a, a self conscious attempt to redo the Mission Impossible, the Brad Bird Mission Impossible movie with. Um, with Tom Cruise on the side of the uh, the the tall building in Dubai, right, the Burj Khalifa, with um, 
the fancy gloves, uh, sticky gloves, with The Rock doing the same thing with duct tape. Right. Right. And that that like uh, that to a certain extent, there were these nods at and and almost like almost like cheekily lowbrow. Right. Um, Sort of taking the Mickey out uh, uh, parodies almost of of these things. But but Pete, say say the one that that you noticed, because I think it's the most important. Oh, so the classic Hall of Mirrors fight scene for me is the climactic fight scene in Enter the Dragon with Bruce Lee, right? Where Bruce Lee is fighting the dude with the claw hand, and they're in this room full of mirrors, and uh, the, uh, I think the the refrain is like, you know, destroy the image and break the enemy kind of situation, where Bruce Lee has to break the mirrors to sort of metaphorically, psychologically destroy his opponent but in practical terms, to know where he is, so, because otherwise he's going to get snuck up on from behind. And so he, like, crack, cracks the mirrors with his hands, finally sees his enemy and kicks his enemy. I think he kicks him on to get impaled by his own spear or something along those lines. There's definitely a sort of you're getting hoisted by your own petard. Your idea of yourself isn't as awesome as what you thought it was because I've broken it. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And the definitely the pearl with the little kiosks that come up. What purpose could they possibly serve other than to have a Bruce Lee style enter the dragon mirror fight? Like, I can't like I don't understand what other purpose they could possibly have. But uh, in this case, it's that the rock uses the mirror to be on both sides. Right. Uh, It's not a situation where the rock is destroying the image of his enemy. It's a situation where the rock is multiplying himself which is an interesting kind of different spin on that. And in if we go back to the sort of art and architecture, the rock, if you think of the flaming pearl as being surrounded by two dragons classically, the rock takes subsumes the role of his opponent and becomes both dragons. And uh, in that sense, he casts his, uh, casts his opponent into the abyss and causes him to cease to exist. But yes, that's the idea. Is it's like it's a Bruce Lee scene, and it, in, it's introduced as such. It's like, oh, that's going to be a Bruce Lee scene later, that kind of thing. I mean, it's, it's practically... Practically on the nose. The uh, the I mean the other thing there is a kind of like meta textual filmic thing about the about that Bruce Lee scene where the the mirrors become like screens right like and the multiplication of images is is about kind of making making images and making movies uh, as much as it's about like the spiritual um, the kind of spiritual lessons that are purportedly being taught in that. Uh, in that situation, uh, right. deeply spiritual, deeply spiritual film um, from from The Rock. Uh, well, thanks, <laughs> <laughs> you know, from our, you know, from our our uh, our spiritual leader, The Rock. Uh, thank you both very much for uh, podcasting with me. Thank you to everyone who listened to uh, listening to us do the Overthinking It podcast. Uh, if you have any comments on uh, on Skyscraper, which you know, literally dozens of people saw, so so I expect this to be a uh, uh, really happen in um, uh, comments thread head on over to uh, head on over to the homepage of overthinking it click the title of this episode and uh, uh, there'll be a place there on the show notes to post comments I, I did a lot of show notes this week also so uh, you can find a bunch of uh, a bunch of reference if you don't know about um, Taoism well neither do we uh, but but like good Americans that doesn't stop us from talking about it a lot um, the uh, we, there, we've collected a lot of links over
over there that you can uh, that you can use. And while you're there, leave a comment uh, and let us know what you thought of Skyscraper, The Rock, or anything we said on the show. We'll be back next week with more Overthinking It podcast. Till then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. There wasn't a post credit scene where they went out to dim sum, was there? Because I had to run back and get ready for the show. <laughs> no, there's, there's just a single long shot of a panda eating a bunch of uh, a bunch of noodles. Right. Oh, oh. Should have stuck around. Should have stuck around. <laughs>